And so, without further ado, I give you the candy lineup. Hey, Willie, check it out. Free candy. Hello, and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Dee Freeman. Dee has appeared in a number of films and TV shows, including Pretty the Series, ER, The Shield, Dexter, Six Feet Under, The X-Files, Fameless, and Third Rock from the Sun. Seinfeld fans will always remember her for playing the service assistant in the classic season nine episode, The Dealership, and we're so glad she can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Dee. It is absolutely a pleasure, you guys. I am humbled to even be here. <laughs> oh, well, the pleasure is all ours. I mean, we'll get into it, but you just do such a fantastic job with this role. But before we get into your role on Seinfeld, you were actually in the United States Marine Corps for a while. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and what that experience was like? Uh, yes, I was in for six and a half years and I was a sergeant when I got out. Oh. Um I actually went in on a dare. I had just gotten out of high school and I was talking to some friends and a Marine Corps commercial came on that said, we're looking for a few good men. And I said, I wonder if they could use a few good women. And they all laughed. They're like, girl, please. Girl, come on. These people, they, they exercise, they work out, they run. And the only running you ever do is down to the mall and back. You better Get down there and go to that church and get yourself a husband, girl, because you ain't no Marine. And I was so pissed. I sat there and thought, did they honestly mean that? Three months later, I joined the Marines. <laughs> How dare you not think that I would be worthy to be a member of that organization? And then when I got there, I was like, oh, my God, what the hell have I done? And how do I get out of this? I mean, it was the toughest, hardest thing I've ever done in my life to this day outside of giving birth. And um, but it was probably the best thing I could have done uh, because it made me grow up real fast. You learn all about loyalty and how to be a member of a team and the discipline that I have today. I got every ounce of it from when I was a Marine. So the best thing I ever did, without a doubt. Wow, that's amazing. And then after that, did you work at a radio station in Japan for a while? I did. <laughs> Wakari Maska? No, you don't know what I'm saying. Yes, I went to Japan in the Marines and, and uh, I got out and stayed over there. And I ended up working at an all Japanese radio station. No one spoke any English and um, they hired me because they couldn't get. American celebrity is in or anyone that spoke English because no one there did. And I said, well, you guys, I've studied the Japanese language for a number of years. So I speak English and some Japanese. So that's how I ended up working um, at FM uh, Mori, their first and I think perhaps only American DJ. My show was called um, Jamming Down a Highway. It did the top 100 and we recorded my show every other week. Wow. So then how did you end up eventually getting into acting? Well, I always knew I wanted to be an actress. I started uh, I was directing plays when I was like five years old. 
Uh, but when I got in high school and I wanted to go straight into the field, my mother, bless her heart, said, I think you need to experience some of what the world has to offer first before you go into this field that can be pretty brutal. And I thought about what she said and I said, well, you know, I'll probably be back in three or four years. So I took up on her word and I'm glad that I did because uh, that's how I entered into the Marine Corps eventually. But I've always wanted to be an actress. Um, I remember when I was younger, standing out in my front yard and um, a teacher had given me a play and I practiced it over and over and over. And my friends who were in it also, they wanted to stop after like 15 or 20 minutes. And I just wanted to keep going and keep going and keep going. And I think that's where it started. There was something about the feel, something I found so mesmerizing and so intoxicating. And that was I think I was in the first grade. The first time I realized that this was a field that captured my attention. And so if we fast forward to when you were in Japan, did you eventually decide to make your way out to Los Angeles to pursue a career in acting or how did that work? No, I was actually married. I married a Marine, um, the father of our two kids, and I traveled with him for a while. And then we landed in Washington, D.C. And my daughter was two years old when we landed there. And um, I saw that they were holding auditions at the Kennedy Center. And I said, Jesus, the Kennedy's is pretty big. Let me I'd only done one professional job up to that moment. But I said, let me go try out anyway. And all of my friends said, don't do it. They don't hire black actresses for their role. And I said, what the hell else am I doing? So I went down to this place that has, I think there are, I can't remember how many theaters are inside of the Kennedy Center, but it's this big, huge, extremely intimidating place. And I auditioned uh, with the monologue that I had just done, uh, The Odd Couple, the female version. And I did the monologue from that for the producer. And right in the middle of the monologue, I just completely went up. Couldn't remember my lines. And I just stood there. And I had just done the play. And he kind of laughed. He said, OK, step back a little bit and um, start again. I stepped back and in the same damn spot, it happened again. And I just I wanted to burst into tears because I knew this monologue backwards and forwards. I could recite it in my sleep unless I'm standing my stupid tail in front of the producer at the Kennedy Center. And he said, I tell you what, his name was Bruce. He said, sit down, sit down, sit down and tell me about yourself. You actors. Oh, my God. I got to babysit all of you. Tell me where you're from, who you're married to, how many kids you got, yada, yada, yada. And I sat. And despite the fact that there were probably 75 people sitting outside waiting to come in an audition, he sat and talked to me for almost a half an hour. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, he said, OK, start the monologue. I started it, made it straight through thanked him, and I just wanted to run out of there because I thought, well, you know, you've completely blown this. And when I got home, my husband said, there's a message for you on the answering service from the Kennedy Center. And I said, no. When they called to say I didn't get it, he said, no. They were calling to say you have a callback. Six callbacks, guys, in a row, wow. straight in a row. Every day you go in your audition, and I'm like, I had sweat every day running in places I didn't know existed. So much pressure. And after the fourth audition, it wasn't just an audition at this point. I was like, if I don't get this part, I'm probably going to go insane. I'm going to kill myself. And eventually I was the last man standing, the first black actress, the play that role at the Kennedy Center, uh, Barbara DeMarco in Sheer Madness. And I ended up doing it for three years. 
And after that, we came to California. I got pregnant with my son, Shane. And um, one night I was on the stage and I heard a lady in the audience say, I think she's pregnant. And I thought, "Uh oh, <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> That's not a good thing for a woman who, you know, I was the one sleeping with the guys on the stage. So, uh, yeah, after that, I thank them for the experience and uh, I ended up coming to California and having my son here about five months later. Wow, that's so incredible. (laughs) (laughs) So you make your way out to California and then how did the role on Seinfeld first come about and what was the audition like for it? Well, um, I think I got a, <laughs> I got to fess up before I get to that actual, that one. I was actually hired on Seinfeld a few years before the dealership, and I ended up getting written out. I will not explain everything that happened on the set that made it spiral from 10 to 1 in almost no time whatsoever. A number of things went wrong. Number one, I can own up today and say I truly do not think I was ready for a show on Seinfeld's level. But I wasn't the only problem on the show. Don't need to go into what it actually was. I started out with quite a few lines. By the time it aired, they had taken even the last line away. And I was devastated. I mean, I just felt like the biggest loser on the face of the earth. I talked to a number of friends about it, but nobody could make me feel better about this experience that I thought would haunt me the rest of my life. And then I read an article in a paper written by, of all people, Kathy Griffin. And I looked and I thought, I said, maybe I can talk to Kathy. Maybe she can shed some light on what happened. And the secret wasn't even out there. But I put it out there, and I like Jesus. I got to meet Kathy Griffin. I got to meet Kathy Griffin. Please let me meet Kathy Griffin. Eight months later, I booked Suddenly Susan. And my eye was on her the entire time. When I got to the set, I said, Kathy, you're on cyber. She's like, not you too, bitch. And she said, get in my dressing room. We sat in Kathy's dressing room and talked for quite a while. And she might not even remember this happening. I only had, I think it was three days on her show. We only really talked that one time, but she got through to me more than anyone else because she could kind of relate and understand where I was coming from. And something she said, it just simply resonated with me. And I walked away from the show thinking it was the best thing that could have happened to me because for the first time, I could actually hold my head up after Seinfeld. And I called my agent up and I said, you know what, I got to get back on Seinfeld because I hear it's going off the air. He said, D, everybody wants to be on Seinfeld. I said, just give me the fucking audition. <laughs> get me the audition because I have something to prove at this point. And hey. a couple of weeks later, he called me and said, OK, put your money where your mouth is. You got an audition coming up for it. And, you know, I had this sense of calm. I didn't feel angst like you do for some auditions. I just felt this sense of. This is yours. And I got down to the studio and there were like 15 or 20 women auditioning for this tiny little role. And all I kept thinking was, today is not their day. There is no way that they're going to take this role away from me. I have to get back on this show. And when I walked through the door, the first person I saw 
was Jerry Seinfeld, and I put all of my energy and everything that I had on him. I didn't think about the audition. I set the lines as though they were just, you know, second nature to me. And I knew that I had the job before I even walked out. When I got home, my husband said, oh, you got a call from your agent, Mark Scroggs, he said for you to call him back. I knew I had the job. And I also knew this time when I went back to the set, this time things were going to go my way. I walked to that set with a sense of empowerment. I didn't feel that I could be hurt or I could be taken off my game. And it was all the years I look back over my life and the experiences I've had in television, the biggest learning curve I've ever had in my entire life. And I owe a lot of it to Kathy Griffin, who just said some things to me that just made me feel better about myself as an actress. After I'd done something, I I just walked away. And I remember just thinking, loser, you know, you got a job on this show and you were written out of it. And after I talked to Kathy, I will forever be grateful to her to take the time that she did, you know, to say, look, you got that job because you were perfect for it, but you're not the first person to have something like this happen on a set. Take it, learn from it, and go on about your business. And that's what I've done. I have never, ever found myself in that boat again. And if I did, you know, I wouldn't know how to deal with it this time, whereas back then I was young, I hadn't had a lot of experience, and I didn't really have a mentor to say, look, girl, you know what? Slap me in the face a couple of times, say, get over it. The shit is over, put it behind you, and go on about your business. So Kathy is um, one of my all-time heroes because of what she did. You know, she didn't have to give me the time that she did. And uh, it made the Seinfeld experience when I went back wonderful. The complete opposite of the very first one. Wow. Um, Are there any more details you can share with us from your first experience on the show, like what the episode was or what character you played or anything like that? Uh, I probably wouldn't even talk about it and be truthful. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I no, I would never. Um, I, you know, one thing that I've learned in this field is, you know, let bygones be bygones. Is in the past, it happened. I don't know if they even remembered when I came on the second time that I had been on years before because I cut my hair. I had a totally different look, so I don't think that they remembered me from years before. And I had taken it off my resume. And I wasn't about to volunteer that information either. So, yeah, it no, was uh, yeah, just the best all these years later. And people ask me, what's the one show that really stands out for obvious reasons? It's Seinfeld. So for your second appearance on Seinfeld, were you there for the entire week of filming or did you only come in to shoot your scenes? No, I was there for the whole week and um you know, you get there in the morning, different times, maybe 10, maybe 11, maybe 12. And then you have a network run through at the end of every day. And the person who I also have to give kudos to on the set, the one person who kept me laughing and in stitches the entire time was Jason Alexander, who I just think is a a god. Um, Jerry Seinfeld is Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, he's the star of the show and he's got a lot of things going on. He's always nice and polite. You know, Michael Richards is often Michael Richards of the world, which is fine. Jerry Seinfeld was the person who the first show seemed to reach out to me because I think he knew something was wrong. He didn't know what, but 
he made jokes to me when I felt like he was not just making a joke, but was trying to get through to me. And then the second time was just as wonderful. Uh, after the network run through, we would uh, I would go home. And unlike the first time, you know, you get your script on your door at 930, 10 o'clock at night after the writers have went through the whole day and said, OK, this joke didn't work. That one worked. So let's add something or let's take this away. And whereas with the first show, my lines were disappearing on a daily basis. The second show, I was ab-libbing my ass off. I have no fear. I'm going to say whatever the hell comes to mind. They were keeping them. So every day, I wasn't rushing to my door, picking up the script, looking at it. I knew when I picked it up, not only would the lines be on there, I would have extra because it was an entirely different experience. It was, um, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times with the show Seinfeld. And um, 20 years from now, they'll ask me what was the best and the worst experience you ever had. It was that one show. And I can, I don't want to make it out like, um, I have to be absolutely honest and say, what I was reacting to could have been imagined. It might not have really even been real, but I was certainly reacting to one thing. And I own up to the fact that based on what I thought I got worse on a daily basis. At the end, I told my husband, I said, I feel like it was, I was in a porn film. I was terrible because I started trying harder, being louder, doing it faster. Instead of just saying, like Kathy said, you got the damn job. You're on our show. You wouldn't have got here if you didn't have the chops, girl. Believe in what you're doing. I didn't with the first Seinfeld. I didn't. I felt like, oh, my God, I can be louder. I can be funnier. I can I can make them like me. And you know what? You can't do that. So it spiraled the first time. It didn't the second time. The second time was entirely different. So I think everything was just different about it. I was in a different place. I had this sense of I remember some of the things that Kathy said to me when I was driving to the set the first day. And I remember thinking, I don't need that anymore. You know, I had. Needed that from her then, but going to the Seinfeld set the second time, I didn't need it. I thought I can stand on my own two feet. And uh, it has ended up being one of the best experiences I've ever had on the show. And this was the first episode to air after Jerry Seinfeld announced that season nine would be the final season. So what was the vibe like on the set that week? Like, did anyone talk about that at all? No, I don't think they discussed it at all. Um, This is a show that had been running since time immemorial. And even though it was the last season, I think it was the show must go on. They all had that attitude. I mean, the same level of professionalism and making things right and uh, going for the ratings. No, I didn't notice any difference with the vibe, that vibe in particular, from the first time or the second time. I think it was the same thing. Yeah, there was no difference. And getting back to your audition for a second. Were there any specific choices you made during the audition or anything that you can point to that helped you land the role? I have a son named Shane who is a lieutenant in the Army today. But I booked this episode because of him. He is the reason I booked four or five shows. When he was like one and a half or two years old, he said, Mama, I want some candy. Give me some candy. (laughs) I'm like, what? As my husband said, why the hell does he yell it out when all he's got to do is ask? We're in the store and I could hear him all the way. Mom, candy. And so when I went to audition for Seinfeld, 
it never dawned on me that when it came out of my mouth, it would come out that way. And it didn't even resonate after I left the audition that I had said it that way. I didn't realize until I got to the set and everybody's walking around saying, hey, do you still want some kind day? And at first I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? Someone said, that's the way you you did it. At the audition, I realized without even thinking about it, I had walked in and said the word candy the same way my son always asked for candy whenever he wanted it. I, I said, oh, I guess then I am kind of married just saying it this way. It just kind of took off a mind of its own. But, yeah, that was the way my son um would ask for candy whenever he wanted. And I, I never for the life of me, I even asked him now. And he said, I don't know why I asked that way. I, he said, I don't know. But he was also responsible for me getting another job. Um, I was auditioning for the role of a mayor and I had gotten him out of school early because I didn't think I would get back in time. And I was at the audition and I was like, Jesus, I got to And the receptionist said, I'll watch him. She said, you go on in. I, I got kids. I got him. You go ahead. I went into the audition and I could hear my son outside, see Shane jump, jump, Shane, jump. And I could hear this loud boom. He was apparently jumping off the chair onto the floor. And I could feel the heat coming up under my skin, just completely covering my body. And I'm like thinking, just wait till I get out of here. We had had the talk that every black woman gives to her child. Don't embarrass me. Sit down and behave. Do everything she tells you to do. And I could hear him through this door. See, Shane, jump, jump, Shane. And I could hear about it. They're laughing. And we could hear it also inside the audition. And my teeth were gritted. And I just thought, I just want to get through this and get out here because I swear to God, I'm going to kill him. That was exactly what they were looking for from the character. I wouldn't have in a billion years played that mayor that way when the casting director called me, he said, D, you're the only one who understood. There's a woman who is tense. She's pissed off. She's got a job to do. And I just said, I said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. I oh. All along. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it oh. was my son, Shane, who was responsible in the long run for me getting back on Seinfeld. That's so great. Yeah, because that line you have the. Check it out. Free candy. That's <laughs> that's honestly your best line, in my opinion. I just, just love it so much. That's so funny. The thing from your son. Did you know it's a meme? Oh, yeah. I my, my son sent it to me. He said, I'm a little embarrassed on the base, mom. I'm walking around with my head over my face. You become a meme. And I said, what show? When he said Seinfeld, I was like, OK, of all the shows I thought I would have been a meme on. I don't think I would have thought Seinfeld. I, I said, okay, <laughs> hilarious. Oh, yeah. It's like I said, wow. I I got a call from uh, my agent when I was briefly a flight attendant uh, when I knew I was going through a divorce. And um, I looked around and said, what kind of a job can I do and still be an actress? And my friend said, well, you know, you can be a flight attendant and an actress. And um, that's how I... Ended up being in, what was I going to say about being a flight attendant? We were talking about being, I mean, for one thing, it's one of the pilot's uh, favorite shows of all time is uh, Seinfeld. But there was something else I was going to say about being a flight attendant and Seinfeld. And Oh, that's right. Okay. My agent called and said, you got a call from somewhere. Uh, he left his number and he left his email address. And she said, so I just took the information and I 
got home that night and I called them. And it was someone from Delaware who said, you don't know me. My name is, I think, I'm embarrassed. I think his name was Adam. I'm not positive. I can't remember. Uh, and he was from Delaware. And he said, I'm calling you. He said, I hope to God you do me a big favor. He said, your Seinfeld episode is me and my husband's favorite episode of all time. Every year we recite your lines with you. Every time we watch the show, we were wondering, he said, his birthday is coming up and I've run out of ideas of what to give him. He said, would you please do a video birthday? Reach out to my husband, he said, and recite some of your dialogue. He said, and I live in Delaware and I work for the governor. And if you ever come here, we will give you a personal tour. I'll introduce you to him if you could do. I said, honey, you ain't got to go through all of that. All you got to do is. Tell me your husband's name and um, I'll work tonight on the video log and I'll send it to you. If I don't get it tonight or tomorrow, you'll get it. And um, once again, astounded, I said, wow, you got to be. He said, yeah, we know all your dialogue. I said, yeah, all seven lines. OK, <laughs> that's good. And I sent a video log to him that night. Um, I've been to Delaware once or twice. I haven't had a chance to go by and visit him. But he said, if you ever in, if you ever here. Uh, call me up and I'll be happy to take you around. Amazing. That's who awesome. knew? <laughs> yeah. You never you never know who you're going to meet. Absolutely. Or, you know, I mean, I, I mean, guys, I do some of these shows and most of the time you just walk away from saying, gosh, I sucked or wow, missed that beat. You don't really walk away thinking that anyone is going to look at it and think that that's going to be their favorite episode or something that they're going to remember. I mean, I never I don't think I've ever thought that about anything I've ever done, you know, to be honest. And then when someone does that, you kind of go, wow, it's kind of humbling, to be honest, you know. So I thought that was something that was pretty cool. Absolutely. And just getting back to some of your scenes, I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but what was your experience like working with Jason and the rest of the cast members in those scenes? Well, Jason is uh, a god as far as I'm concerned, just a comic genius it's like uh he has the gift of every time he does the scene he will do one or two things differently that changes it a little bit each time and um you know i studied that in watching some of the things he did and that was the thing i thought was that yeah every time he'll do it a little bit different change it up a little bit give the editor something else to look at without really going too far afield from who the character is I absolutely 100% loved Jason. I thought he is uh, just one of the true comic geniuses of our time. I also loved Michael Kagan, who played the, he was the white guy who was at the window that I was at the window with. Have you guys oh, interviewed yeah. him yet? Do you know his background? Uh, no. no, I don't think so. I, I think you should talk to him because, uh, I think he has a pretty interesting background. I'll let him tell you about it. Uh, but he is somebody that you might want to have on this show because when he told me, my mouth dropped open. I was like, gosh, really? And um, I don't want to blow the whistle on it. But, yeah, contact him because what he told me, I said, I had no idea. Extremely, 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 extremely interesting. And I don't think it's something that um, – he put out there a lot or talks about a lot. But I told him, I said, if that was my background, every damn person on this set would have known it. But he didn't. I don't know if he told anyone other than me. So contact him and ask him about uh, his background. 
Oh, we'll definitely reach out to him. Yeah, it definitely has an interesting. I just was completely in awe when he told me just wow. Like, OK, he was the one I probably spent the most time with. And I think there was something so uh, charming about him, so likable. And um, I haven't worked with him since. Wish I had because he was, I think, an extremely solid actor, but just a nice person to um, to work with. You know, I really enjoyed him. And to be honest, everybody in that um that episode were all super sweet. I mean, Riff Hutton, who uh, we did an episode of Cold Case together. I worked with him. So, yeah, this episode, like I said, just just kind of stands out for a lot of good reasons. So, yeah, but have Michael on. Talk to Michael and ask him about his background that he told. I don't know if he remember telling me, but, yeah, just ask him about his background. Oh, yeah, we'd love to have him on. Yeah. Yeah, you know who we did have on from this episode was um, Joel McCrary, who played the mechanic who stole George's uh, Twix bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he Is he great. not hilarious? <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. So great. Just looking. I mean, I think there are some people who are just kind of, you know, a certain look from him. And I was on the floor laughing. I think he is um, a gifted comedian. I mean, just extremely, 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 extremely funny. And um, he was, I think, the right person for that role, because I can't imagine anyone else doing the justice to it that he did. I don't think some of the lines were written funny. I thought it was his take of the lines that made them funny. So. Yeah, Joel was um, hilarious. Absolutely leveled on board for him. I agree with you 100%. I think there were a lot of people on this episode who were um, uh, like the guy, a nickel. I mean, Jesus, he put so much into that one damn word. (laughs) Well, even you, I mean, you you only if you if you read your lines on paper, it's not funny. But the way you delivered your lines were hilarious. Well, see, I I appreciate you saying that because uh, I thought that uh, Seinfeld is also one of those shows that I think it lasted as long as it did and is still relevant today because of that reason. He takes something that's mundane that you do in everyday life and just kind of, you know, all of a sudden it's hilarious. Some of these um, I've watched a few of their episodes and this one in particular. How many times have we had that freaking candy bar that just came to the lip? And just hung there a hundred times that has happened to me. And for him to put that in an episode, then someone gets it. Yeah. And then a whole spiraling of all the candies talking about, you know, instead of addressing this man's needs, we start talking about what ingredients are in each candy. And I just thought that uh, the writers were just, you know, I mean, these are the people who I don't know a lot of their backgrounds, but I would imagine that some of them perhaps were around with like Carl Reiner or writing for like Mary Tyler Moore, some of the earlier shows that had the same kind of format to me and that you could watch it a hundred years from now and it will still be funny. Absolutely. And you said earlier that you did a lot of ad living and improvising, but did you make any suggestions to anybody or did anybody make any suggestions to you like throughout the rehearsals or throughout the filming? Well, you know, those writers are, really in tune with what direction they want the episode to go. And uh, even with the first one and the second one, I think they are constantly thinking of new things. Like if you ad lib something in it works and say, okay, when you say that, add this here to it too, do this here. Or like, I remember going through 
Jason coming through the door and they're saying, Jason, okay, Jason, when D says this, say this here instead. Yes, yeah, say that. Yeah, uh-huh. You got it. Boom, you go. And that's the way they write. They write off the cuff. And uh, if you say something, you ad lib something and it works, they're gonna keep it in. They're gonna say, okay, when you say that, also say this here. Put that ad, put that button on it. So I remember that from the um that was even with the first show. That is what they do, uh, what they did as writers. It was kind of like someone said uh Night Court worked the same way that that was a lot of the way they worked. And I told my friends, I said, I swear to God, you truly have to be on your toes uh, before you come on a show like Seinfeld, because I think that also had a lot to do with the first experience that I had. You go on these shows and you got the series regulars who can kind of throw away the lines. You can't throw away the lines, honey, because you are the guest on that episode. And I've been on other shows since then where I see like maybe a co-star, a guest star, because the star is being kind of understated. They can afford to do that is because the show have their name. But if you step into that trap, and I think uh, that may have been some of what I did the first episode, it might not be a pretty picture. So even though they might be a little understated, when those cameras roll or when you have those network run throughs, Man, these are thoroughbreds coming out and you're like, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, it's also um, I enjoy being on an episode like that where you got such heavy hitters that you realize you do have to be at the top of your game because you're like, I don't want people to forget I was even on the damn show, which can happen when you're in a scene with someone like Jason Alexander. I mean, he's a scene stiller. So you are fighting just to keep up with the Jason. But I also knew when I did the audition, you can't match Jason Alexander's energy. Two people like that in one scene will make the scene unwatchable. And I knew even with my lines, even if I did them, I would have to go kind of under Jason or the opposite. I knew if I tried to match it, it wouldn't work. So, but yeah, it was a, just a thrill watching him work all week. I was like, Oh my God, it was, um, yeah, I'd say for any new actors who are coming into the field, one of the best uh, learning things that you can watch would be, I would say, a show like Seinfeld and just look at what some of these actors, you know, did on that. There's a reason why all these years later, people are still talking about Seinfeld. That's true. So we talked about Jason and a lot of the great guest stars in this episode, but what about the main four? I mean, I know you didn't have any scenes with them, but did you get to spend any time with Jerry, Julia or Michael at all? Uh, I talk with them some, but they're not exactly, I think they're kind of in their own little world, to be honest. I think that Julia's doing her thing. Michael Richard is doing his thing. They are all doing their own thing. I mean, they will sit and laugh and joke and talk with you, but as far as hanging out with them, no, I don't think that's, uh, maybe that was just my experience, but I don't think that, um, I did. I didn't see that. Not only not with me, but with any of the other actors. I think that they are. I mean, especially Jerry. Jerry is too busy and got too much stuff going on. He's either with the producers or the writers or on his phone. He's handling some deal. Michael Richards is off doing his thing. I think that's who they were on the set. They are cordial and nice to you when you're around. The person who I spoke to the most, though, was Jason. Jason would come over and make a joke and I'd laugh and I'd make a joke back. He was the one who was uh, likely to do something like that. Not so much Jerry or Julia or Michael. Uh, not with my experience. I didn't see that. 
Yeah, well, especially Jerry in the final season, he was so busy without Larry there, so he probably had no time to just hang out. He certainly didn't. No, absolutely not. No. Mm-mm. No. And one thing I noticed about your character is that you're chewing gum in all of your scenes. <laughs> so I was just curious if that was your choice or if someone told you to do that. You know, it was my choice because how long ago had it been? A couple of weeks before I went to a DMV and it was this black girl working it. And, you know, I kind of found her irritating. She was chewing that gum when she was talking to me and just chewing it. And she would tell me I do this, blah, 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 blah. And I kind of took from her also because she had that gum in her mouth. And I thought, do you ever spit it out? She chewed that gum, never missed a clack. And it was just, now was she chewing, you know how they pop the gum too? Now that I refuse to do. She was chewing it and popping it. And I was like, oh my God, but she never missed a beat of telling you, stand behind the line, do this, do that. So I kind of tried to took on, um, I took on her demeanor of what she have up, you know, I've seen it all, don't care what it is, but she never broke spirit with that gum. It was her uh, that I decided to chew the gum with because of watching her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you only took the gum out to have the free candy. That's it. That's the only time that girl never took that gum out of her mouth. And I sat there at the DMV and watched her all day. I'm like, do you ever take that freaking gum out of your mouth? She just chewed and clacked all day, just popping that gum. And I said, well, this will be something that I can add to a character one day. And that was the reason why when I got the one on, I said, okay, she's working in his office. I'm going to put it right here. It was a black girl who I met at the DMV <laughs> a couple of weeks before. <laughs> That was a great choice because it really did make the character funnier, I thought. I thought, yeah, you man, you see a lot of people like this. And uh, someone who told me something once said some of the best characters are people that you've met in real life just steal from them, they said, because that's exactly what all of the rest of us are doing. So, yeah. And also, I'm in class right now with, of all people, Melanie Chartoff, who you guys had. Did you guys have Melanie on? We did, yeah. yeah. Is she, I listened to her episode and I'm like, oh my God. I texted her, I was like, Melanie, I can't meet up. Cause she said, she told me, she said, D, I didn't think, I didn't know if I, I could remember some of that stuff. I said, you talked about it like it was yesterday. Are you kidding? I thought she was. Oh yeah. I well, thought she was. She was so much brilliant. fun. She was great. Yeah, she was absolutely hilarious. So I study with Melanie right now. I'm in improv in our class. Well, tell her we said hi. I certainly will. She's close friends with um, my roommates. You guys might know my roommates. Uh, um, do you know Sherwood Schwartz? Yes. Gilligan's Island. Well, yeah. I'm his daughter's roommate. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. No That's way. how I met uh, Melanie. Uh, her and Melanie are um, close friends. And that's how I met. Um, yeah. Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch. That's right. Holy cow. Yeah, you guys might want to do an episode on that one day because you talk about uh, history. I'm like, I mean, there is nobody that she doesn't know. Anybody that come to her say, yeah, I met this. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Melissa, yeah, she's married to Harry and she lives on 27th Street. Like, <laughs> I can't mention anybody to my roommate without her knowing who it is. I said, <laughs> hilarious. Wow. Uh, we'll have to keep her in mind. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite memory from your time on the show? Um, I think based on the fact that I had 
previously done Seinfeld and was at an all-time low, going back, the universe had everything falling in my favor. I was ab-libbing lines, and they were laughing and thinking it was funny. I felt free. I didn't feel stilted like I did the first time. Um, didn't know how to turn around the circumstances I found myself in. And this one, it never even dawned on me. They could be anything other than perfect. Um, I stand by what I said of saying it was the best experience and the worst experience I've ever had. And I knew when I told my agent, you have to get me back on that show, that there was no way I could go through the rest of this life without getting back on that show with those characters. Uh, it taught me also not to not to second guess yourself, you know, and I think I did that the first episode. I second guessed and then I became, you know, just kind of I told my husband, I said I felt like a porn actress, just horrible. I really felt terrible. Threw away everything that I've learned as an actress, just trying to be liked and trying to be funny. And it simply don't work. The second time I just said, I'm going to go in here and I'm a woman who works in this thing and she's chewing this gum and she's talking about candy. And I didn't even think about whether or not they liked me and didn't even care. So it gave me uh, something that I have used since then. I've never, ever forgotten that episode. And I've never went to a set, not ever and walked away feeling the way I did the first Seinfeld. It was, uh, but I knew instinctively that I had to get back on the show that when I heard one of my friends said, well, girl, you know, the show is about to end. And I remember my heart pounding because I had let a few years go by. But when she said that, I instinctively knew there is no freaking way I can let this go without me getting back on and turning it around. And that's when I called my agent and said, I've got to I've got to get back on that show. But I honestly do credit Kathy Griffin for reaching me when no one else. I mean, my husband's like, you know, all the stuff that he said, it just didn't it just it didn't reach me. It didn't. And some of my friends who you're like, dear, you're funny and you're you were great. And it just happened. Look at that. Let me turn this off. Sorry. <laughs> Forgot to turn it down. So, yeah, it just um, I will always remember we'll go to my grave, you know, um, probably put that on my tombstone. You know, she did the second episode of Seinfeld because it's the one that I will of all the shows that I've done. I've had others that have stood out for different reasons. That's one that I will never, ever forget. And just the best experience. The second one. When you were on Seinfeld the second time, at any point did you bring up the first time you were on Seinfeld to anyone or or no? No. <laughs> not only did I not bring it up, I had cut my hair when I went in for the audition. My hair was long. I cut it to the short style that it was and took Seinfeld off the resume because, well, there was no reason to have it on there when you've been written off. They had no clue that I'd been on that episode, not even the um, the casting director. He didn't know that I had been on the show years before and um, that it happened. None of them. So, no. And I had no intention of telling them that, uh, guys, <laughs> I was here before. OK, I know you don't remember me, but, yeah, I was. So, no, I not even the people that I was working with in the um, I spent the most of the time with the people who were actually in the scene with me. 
And um, no, I had no intention of telling anyone. I didn't want to bring that, uh, what had happened the first time, I didn't want to bring any of that karma or that history uh, to this one. I wanted to keep them separate. And you said you ad-libbed some lines in the episode. So do you remember what lines those were? I can't remember all of them. I know that there were less lines. Uh, it was only about two or three lines. And so I ad-libbed some stuff. You know, this new sense of empowerment. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I know that I did do some ad-libbing, some of the stuff that was in there. I remember Jason saying, when I said something, Jason said, yeah, keep that. I said, you got it. So I don't particularly remember it. And I haven't watched the episode probably in 20 years, <laughs> at least. Like I said, I don't watch a lot of what I do. The one time I did watch it, I was at my friend's house and it came on and she wanted to watch it. I was like, oh, God, it's the dealership. It's the one that I'm in. She's like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little difficult well, watching you yourself, you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, but were you happy with how your scenes turned out? Yes, I, I, I truly was. I mean, I thought this time, would I do the episode differently today? Of course, absolutely, I would do it differently. But, uh, yeah, when I walked away from there, I was on, you know, probably the highest cloud possible because I truly felt like I did what I wanted to do at that moment. And... uh I truly had fun. I didn't have fun the first time. And that was something that one of my acting coaches told me years ago. He said, if you're not having fun, Dee, you shouldn't be in this field. I had fun on this one. I mean, it was really hard to do scenes with Jason Alexander and not laugh. I mean, you just want to laugh at some of the stuff that he does or like he what he would do is like when you're getting ready to go through the door, he'd whisper some joke to you or something raunchy. And you've got to try to keep a straight face walking through that door. I just, yeah, it was so much one of, well, I don't say it's the most fun I've had on a set, but I think it was one of the first sets that I truly, truly, truly enjoyed myself and uh, walked away thinking, you know, I want to thank the universe for giving me that experience because I know if I hadn't got back on Seinfeld a second time, I would have had regrets for the rest of my life. So, yeah, kudos to, you know, I was practicing the secret before everybody else knew about it. I just kind of chanted Seinfeld over and over and over. And um, I put out in the universe, you can't give this to somebody else. This is, I don't care if it's two lines. It's my role because I have to get back to the set. And knowing that they were going to end, put even more pressure. But for some reason, when I saw the script, I said, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. This is. This is mine. I knew it all along. So, yeah, it all worked out in my favor. All right. So before we let you go, we're just going to move on to our final segment. It's called This, That and the Other. So basically, we just ask you a question. And the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. OK. So first question we have to ask, since it's a major theme of the episode, what is your favorite candy bar? I would say it's a Hershey's with, with nuts. Hershey's with so nuts. True. Now, well, you said candy bar. So candy bar, yes. Hershey with nuts would be number one. Uh, what role or performance are you proudest of? I liked a show I did called Pretty the Series. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it, I would say take a look at it. It was created by this writer named Steve Silverman. And uh, 
myself, Sam Pancake, Michael Taylor Gray. Uh, we had some soap stars on there, too. Jeannie Francis from General Hospital, Denise Alexander from General Hospital. We also had Kirsten Bangs Ness from Criminal Minds, uh, Melissa Perlman from um, she did a show with Ed Asner. She was uh, Reba McIntyre's best friend on Reba. Oh, yeah. That show, uh, it was on the Internet and it was called Pretty the Series and it was about children's beauty pageants. We were all cast based on who we were as people. Steve Silverman knew all of us individually and he wrote this show called Pretty the Series. And my daughter is a little girl who is in pageants, except I'm not putting her in pageants. It's my husband who is apparently gay and nobody else is aware of it, who is does her hair and gets her clothes together and takes her to all these pageants. And when it, the first season, we did the first season, I thought I was too mean and too, I told Steve, I said, you made me too mean and people are going to hate it. And I have gay guys who have told me, we go as Rabina on Halloween. I'm like, what? Are you, <laughs> are you joking? It was a character that Steve told me. He said, Dean, you can't go too big. And he's always like, yeah, do it again. Yeah, keep doing it. I like that. And it's probably one of the shows next to that movie I did in Canada that people remember me for, for some reason. They love Pretty the Series. It has um, a huge following. What is your favorite film? Well, I have um, too many favorites. I would say I'm always going to favor a movie that deals with the military that I believe is on point. They've had a lot they have done where I'm sitting going, bullshit, never, ever, ever happen. But then you get movies like Full Metal Jacket, and I remember watching it, and Vincent D'Onofre, and my heart just pounding because anybody in the military, any of us in the Marine Corps, looked at that and said, that is the Marine Corps boot camp that we all knew. I sat there and I could feel sweat coming out all over my body because you don't get a lot of shows. A lot of them come in there and they think this is what the Marine Corps is like. I don't think I've seen any that were on point when it came to women. Now, I went out for a series years ago that I won't name. I was up for it and it dealt with women Marines. And I looked at the show and thought, this would never, ever happen. And they asked me in the at the callback, they said, so, D, was something like this happen? I said, you want me to tell you the truth or you want me to tell you what you want to hear? And they said, no, tell us the truth. And I said, not in a gazillion years. Never. They said, but see, these people are the ones in this boot camp are from the street and the gangbangers. I said, who the shit you think was in my boot camp? Dude. We had loads of gangbangers, women from the street. We had some lethal holes in our goddamn boot camp. So the fact that you got some recruit who's going to cuss a drill instructor out, oh, no, that's never going to happen. So they had a lot of stuff, I thought, in the series that I said, you guys, that's just not true to women Marines. And I knew as I was sitting there talking, as they asked me, I knew I am never going to get this role. They would not want me on the set. Now, not that I would have went on that set. That's not the way it would have happened. I wouldn't have said anything. 
I would went right with what the writer had, but most of the stuff that they had in it, they just, I mean, um, I don't see a lot of stuff that deals with the Marine Corps. That is true. And I would like to see a movie dealing with women Marines. That is the experience that I've had and that a lot of other female Marines have had. They haven't done it yet. And one day when I win my Oscar and I'm, you know, got the money to do it, I'm going to do a movie about just that, the women Marines, because um, I feel like we're forgotten. Like, you know, you see all these movies come out over and over and over and over about the men and about the army or they put out Private Benjamin. I said, but what about those of us who were in the Marine Corps? I mean, we started out with, I don't remember how many we started out, but we graduated one third of our platoon. A lot of the things that happened with the men happened with the women, but we don't see that in movies anywhere. That's what I would love to see. I would love to see a movie about uh, women Marines. But the ones that I appreciate more than anything is when I see a movie that I think really shows who we truly are. And one movie, I would have to say, it's not my favorite movie of all time, but it's a movie that I've watched twice and I cried both times. And I got to give a shout out to Brendan Fraser, The Whale. I, oh my. Now, I knew him from The Mummy and I saw him in the movie and you couldn't have told me 15 years ago that he was capable of giving the performance that he did. So even though it's not my favorite movie in the last 10 years, I place it at the top and say, oh, my God, Jesus, I thought his performance was absolutely just pure. Everybody in that movie was just and I don't know if I would even want to watch it again. I thought it was so painful, but just such a wonderful one. So favorite movie. It's too many. I go back vintage. Sidney Poitier to serve with love. Lilies of the field. Montgomery Cliff, a place in the sun. Uh, I go back to a lot of the vintage actors because I think if you really want to be an actor today and be old point, go back and look at some of those actors because those people truly, they got those roles back in the day because they were the right people for those roles. And you don't know if you necessarily see that today. So my favorite movies would all be uh, movies from yesterday. Um, um, those are the ones that I will watch over and over and over and over and over. Those are the ones that truly move me and make me feel something. So all of my favorite movies would be pre perhaps 1970, <laughs> to be honest. Um Favorite band or musician? Well, that's I kind of have to be a little prejudiced with this because my roommate, <laughs> Hope, her husband was in the band with Paul McCartney. He was in Wings. He is oh, a. So yeah, he's so if you're in the band with Paul McCartney, honey. You got it going on. He is. Oh yeah. Uh, big time, and he has this discipline like nobody's business. I go to sleep every night listening to him. He practices every freaking darn night. I've never had that kind of discipline uh, before, but he does every night. And I went to see him in a uh, group of concerts. And I want to tell you guys about their daughter, Ilse Juber, who is going to be performing with Train in London next year. She's performing at some places here in California. She went on a map when she wrote I don't know if you guys remember Fireball by Pitbull years ago. That's what put her on the map. But they just started. She just started writing for herself. And she's got 
uh, this song called No California that I just can't stop singing. So I would say my latest obsession, not because it's my roommate's daughter, but because I just think she's a gifted songwriter. And she's got this song called No California that I simply can't stop listening to. So I would say right now it would have to be um, Ilse Juber. Band, once again, also vintage. I am Led Zeppelin, uh, Pink Floyd, Journey. Those are my uh, favorites of all time. I mean, you can't touch what those guys did back in the day. Those musicians, I don't think today, can even come close to, you know, uh, any of those guys. So all of my favorite bands would be rock, R&B, and Motown. But from back in the day also, you know, I think my favorite band of all time would perhaps be Led Zeppelin, I would say. Uh, I love Robert Plant. I just something about him. I just think, oh, my God, you know, Jesus. <laughs> what a God. So, yeah, all vintage. But Zeppelin's, train, my, Zeppelin's my favorite, too. too. Was it? Is Yeah, man, I tell you, they just come on, you know, that kind of music. I don't think we're making today. We're really not. So, no. But then also, again, I love Train. I love Muse, who's my son's favorite band. I love them, too. I mean, there are certain people out there today that I like. I like Adele, Beyonce. But uh, after that, I'd probably have to go back to uh, people that I grew up listening to. Yeah. Definitely. The role you didn't get that you really wanted. Um... I went out for the help and uh, Octavia Spencer is a friend of mine. I knew Octavia before she was Octavia Spencer. We used to talk on the phone three and four hours a day. I mean, anytime she had an audition, she called me up. I remember once she was going out for a woman who was South African and the audition was two weeks away. Octavia called me every day, only speaking in a South African accent every day doing the role. So I did work with her. I've worked with Octavia two or three times. The one I really wanted to work with her on, though, was the help, but it didn't work out in my favor. I would say that's the one when I think of the one that I missed the most, the help would probably be at the top. Um, I also went out for, there was a TV show with Wanda Sykes, she was on it. And I went out to play the role of her agent. And this was, I don't remember the, I can't remember the name of the show. It wasn't on the air very long, but I thought for sure I had it. I know they were making the decision in New York. They were talking about agents back and forth. D still in there. She's still in there. She's still in there. And I took this agent way over the top, like some agents are. Uh, I knew that at that time George Lopez had put out a book and I went into the audition the callback with George Lopez book and I don't think they even had any idea I was gonna do it and I started off with the book I said look at this he just wrote this fucking book where's yours at you know how much money we could make from a goddamn book like this we're talking a lot of money here and all of us sitting and they just started laughing it wasn't written in there but I went and bought George Lopez book and I had certain segments and then Mark I said look where he's reading this is he talking about you because we might have a lawsuit on our hands. I'm just wondering. So I thought for sure that me and Wanda had incredible chemistry, but it just didn't uh, 
it didn't work out. And I think I really wanted it only because it's unlike any role I've ever played before. The actor you worked with who was the most different from the character that he or she played? Hmm. Well, Talia Shire played a murderer, uh, somebody who's out of their mind. And I thought she was perhaps one of the kindest people that I uh, ever worked with. I was, I think it was one of the first or second movies that I ever booked. And I think I had seven scenes. I didn't ask who the star was. I knew that there was somebody who was a murderer in the movie. And then when I went to fitting, they said, oh, it's Talia Shire. And I was like, "Uh oh, Jesus, man. I mean, you're talking about Adrian, <laughs> that Talia Shire. And I was just a little, once again, this was at the beginning of my career, a little intimidated thinking, what is she going to be like? And I got to the set the first day and she said, where'd you get that blouse from? That's so beautiful. And that's the way she was the rest of the set. She's got uh, three kids, three boys. And uh, I think during that time, right before that, or it hadn't been too far before that, I think her husband had died, or if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember. I think he had died. And we talked about that and the effect it has on children because I had two kids and she had three. And, you know, like, how can you make it right for them? And, you know, I just said, gosh, I certainly wouldn't want to be in your shoes because she said, I think they're angry because their father's gone and I can't fix it. So I think it was just her humanity that came out and her just telling me how she felt and just bleeding for her children and not wanting to wish this on anybody because they were so close to their father. And I just thought, you know, who would have thought that this woman, Adrian from Rocky would be this, I mean, just sitting down, just talking about something as simple as how much she loved her kids and how hurt she was for them. And it just made me just love her so much as a person. She's just so real, just so, I mean, just there. And I don't know, going into the set, if I thought that's who she would be. I mean, you when you first start in this field and you meet these people who have been in, I mean, like the Godfather and Rocky, you certainly don't think she's going to sit down and tell you, you know, I'm bleeding for my kids because they don't have their father. I just wanted to, you know, I could feel tears coming into my eyes just listening to her. She was just so, um, so present. And I thought just such a, a wonderful person. And I booked a commercial at the same time that I booked the landlady. And I told her, I said, shoot, I got to tell my agent I got to pass on this damn commercial because we're filming here. And she said, no, you're not. I said, yeah, but we're filming. She said, D, if you booked a commercial, you can make a lot more money from that than you can from this. She said, well, and she said, what day? And I told her, and she went to the crew and said, no, we're going to change it around to where D, we're going to do all the D scenes so she can get out of here and do a commercial. She changed the whole freaking day around so I could do that damn Budweiser commercial. Talia oh. Shire, just a goddess as far as I'm concerned. Just so sweet and kind and nice. And after every take, just like, D, is there anything I can do for you? What did you think? And, you know, I'm like thinking, girl, you asking me. And that was something else I learned from that show, too. I watched the movie afterwards. I did watch that one. And I was so disappointed in my performance because I looked at it and I thought the final scene, the power 
you should know who the power is between the two of us because I'm a chick from the streets and she's a serial killer, which it should have been a, you know, uh, this cat and mouse. But I felt like all the power was with her. And I sat and watched and said, what was it that Talia Shire did that I missed? And I looked at the scene over and over and I finally said she didn't blink. And our scenes were it's this intensity. She didn't blink. She didn't move. She just said the lines, opened her mouth and said the lines. And me, Miss South Central, was moving my head from side to side. And let me tell you this. And girl, you know what? I was doing theater acting for television. And I looked at it and thought the best. And I didn't realize that until years later of looking, of saying, go back to Talia Shire, what it was. And that was one of the learning experiences I also took was that uh, Jack Nicholson won that Oscar years later for A Few Good Men because in that scene, he doesn't blink and he doesn't move. And Talia Shire did the same thing in The Landlady. And I was so busy. And that kind of busyness in a scene where you got two people who are fixated on each other, she didn't move and I was all over the place. So I would say the one person who really, for a lot of reasons, she changed years later my performance, but I just thought she was the total opposite of what you might imagine someone with her, you know, here's Francis Ford Coppola's sister, who was just a sweet, nice woman who said, you sure as hell are going to take that commercial. We're not going to let you miss that. Just so kind and so nice. I would say it would be Talia Shire, without a doubt. Wow, it's a great story. And final thing, favorite moment of your career. Favorite moment. I would have to say some of my favorite moments. Uh, I did a TV show called The Guardian years ago, and that was the first time I can remember that I watched Talia Shire, of all people, in that movie because I was doing this. And there were a lot of scenes where it was just one on one and with me and a person. And I had up until then done a lot of shows where I just wasn't happy. I felt it on the set. The emotion was there, but then I would watch it and go, what the hell am I doing? What what am I doing wrong? And then I got The Guardian and I thought, I don't want to make the same mistake with The Guardian that I made in other dramas. And I went back and watched some of the shows I had done before and watching Talia Shire. And I said, well, she's not moving as much. She seems to be just sitting there saying the lines. And as an actor, you don't think that's even acting, that you just say the lines, but that's exactly what Talia Shire was doing. And so I played in The Guardian. It's one of my favorite uh, episodes I've done ever, to be honest. A mother who had a son who was 16 years old, and my son was on the fast track. He was already accepted to an Ivy League school, but he was dating this white girl. And he came home to me and I said, no, 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 you ain't got time for no girl. You are getting ready to go to college. You can leave this girl behind. You can come see her a few years from now after you have um, gotten out of college. And so he uh, continued to see her. One night he was going to her house. He got in a car accident and he died. Six months later, she comes to me and says, I can't support our child. And I look at it and go, you're what? This white girl and my son had had a baby together. And the episode is about me going after her. I play an architect. 
to get that child away from her because my son was an only child. And um, I thought, here's a piece of me that I still have left. And that episode, I think I did everything that I wanted to do. It was one of the first shows where I thought I did move around. I wasn't blinking excessively and moving from side to side. And then one of the guys that starred on the show, uh, my agent called me about a week later and sadly, sadly, I don't remember his name, but he was one of the stars of the show. But he called my agent and he said, I just want you to tell Dee Freeman from an actor who's been around for over 30 years that she gave perhaps the best performance I've ever seen on television. That without a doubt. I mean, I said, I said, <laughs> are you freaking kidding? This is from an actor with his pedigree. And I looked at the episode and I thought, I did do everything in that episode that I wanted to do. I wasn't moving all over the place and, you know, excessive blinking, which a lot of actors don't know will weaken you in a scene. It was the first show that I did that it all came together for me in that episode. I didn't have scenes where I was like, oh, my God, you dropped this and that didn't work and that didn't work. Each scene I did what I wanted to do. So I would say The Guardian uh, was the first show that I did where I didn't want to go home and vomit. I looked at it and thought, okay, I could sit and watch this and I wouldn't have the razor blade out, you know, nipping myself. So I actually enjoy watching that episode today. So for that reason. Well, Dee, thank you so much for doing this. This was really a lot of fun. We appreciate it. You guys are welcome. I hope I gave you guys, which I, I was no Melanie. I listened to her. She's like, I don't know. I'm like, girl, shut up. Just shut up. Are you kidding? You were bro I thought she was absolutely brilliant on there uh so yeah i'm honored that you guys uh, i mean would even talk to me at this point because i said that show from all those years ago but uh i found out with sign for for some reason it's the gift that keeps on giving people seem to love that show so i'm appreciative of the fact that not only was i on it but i actually got a chance to go back on it and uh put myself on a different track yeah, and you're honestly one of the most memorable parts of that episode. I mean, the dealership is the probably, you know, it's a top five episode from season nine, and you just make it all the more better, and your scenes are so memorable, and I'm so excited. We're just so happy that we got to talk to you and so excited that and you gave such great stories, too. Thank you, guys. I certainly appreciate it. Like I said, if you ever want to do anything about the Brady Bunch or Gilligan. My roommates, they are. Um, yeah, but you want to talk to the guy who was in the band with Paul McCartney? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You guys want to do a Gilligan episode, which I'm like, why are they not going to bring that back? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got, I kind of know them. <laughs> well, if they're Seinfeld fans, let us know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They saw, they saw quite a few episodes of Seinfeld. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll be in touch. Thanks, yeah, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Have a great night. Right. Good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Would you like to report a problem with one of your mechanics? 
When did you bring your car in? Yeah, right. I'm gonna get my car repaired at a dealership. <laughs> Why don't I just flush my money down the toilet? Sir, what exactly is the problem? One of your guys, Kip or Ned, short name, stole my Twix candy bar. Are you saying he grabbed your candy bar away from you? He might as well have. I caught him, and his face was covered in chocolate and cookie crumbs. But you said it was a Twix. Oh, it was. But he claimed it was a Fifth Avenue bar. Maybe it was. Oh, no. no. Twix is the only candy with the cookie crunch. What about the $100,000 bar? Nope, rice and caramel. Nougat? No. Positive? Please. You know they changed the name from $100,000 bar to 100 grand? All I want is my 75 cents back, an apology, and for him to be fired. I remember when you used to be able to get a Hershey for a nickel. What's the one with the swirling chocolate in the commercial? They all have swirling chocolate in the commercial. Not Skittles. Dad, I told you you could sit here only if you don't talk. You make your father sit here all day? He likes it. All right, do you mind? I have the window. Now, what are you going to do about my Twix? Twix has too much coconut. No, there's no coconut! I'm allergic to coconut. I'm not. A nickel. <laughs>